if you're eating cottage cheese and yogurt and rice cakes and apple, because that's what the diet told you to eat, but you really want a bowl of ice cream, then you're going to eat all those foods and then still eat the ice cream. Or you're going to have an intense urge for, let's say, a sugary food or a fatty food, but then you're going to feel like internalize that and think, wow, something's really wrong with me. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. And mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by DBT Path. My emotions were all over the map. And even though I knew in my heart that I was capable, bright, and had potential, I'd repeatedly do things that others would say was self-sabotaging. I didn't want to sabotage myself. I just truly didn't know how to manage my emotions. And believe me, I'd tried a lot of things. It wasn't until I learned dialectical behavior therapy, DBT skills, that I learned how to embrace my sensitivity and finally feel in control. Whether for you it's BPD by bipolar, anxiety, PTSD, or any other reason that you regularly experience intense emotions, you can create the life that you want, all online in a caring, non-judgmental community. Go to EmotionallySensitive.com now and join us. Learn DBT skills. Change your life. We are still on the topic of food, body, mind, relationship, how what we eat affects our mind and why what we eat affects our mind. We know that sometimes when we eat something, it affects us in a certain way in our mental state. Today, I have a wonderful guest, Gila Glassberg. She's a registered dietitian, a certified intuitive eating consultant. I wanted to understand the definition of intuitive eating and how is it different than a diet? Why are diets not good for us, for our mental state, for our body? What does food teach us? Gila went through her own journey with food, her own interesting relationship after growing up one of nine and not having structured meals. She realized that her relationship with food was not the healthy one. In her teenage years, she realized that everybody around her is doing diets in order to fit into a certain image of body acceptance, size acceptance, and she realized that she needs to heal from that. After learning about intuitive eating, she decided that she wants to gift her journey and how she healed herself from her past traumas of bad relationship with food and body shaming. She decided she wanted to teach the world about intuitive eating and heal her clients and gift them the opportunity to have the proper relationship with food with no shame, with understanding, with clarity, and that our intuition tells us what we need and why if we're just mindful fascinating conversation very very different than what we usually speak about i think you will highly enjoy this understanding and the clarity behind how we have a dialogue with our food and sometimes it just goes into our subconscious and then it becomes an automatic dialogue just like driving really interesting hope you enjoy this conversation if you haven't signed up to our email list pause this for a second. Go to hopetorecharge.com. Put your email down there. We have amazing blogs that come out every week. You don't want to miss it. And we have incredible, exciting stuff coming your way. And you do not want to miss out on finding out what's going on in Hope to Recharge podcast. If you enjoyed this episode at the end, leave us a review and maybe forward it to one person that you think that can help them in their journey of mental health recovery or body recovery or whatever recovery they're going through. You may save a life. It's one one click to just forward it. Thank you for being a part of Hope to Recharge podcast. Enjoy this episode. I was curious to what is intuitive eating and, and how is it different than a general dietitian, nutritionist? What is the mindset behind intuitive eating? I am a registered dietitian, nutritionist. I don't know if you if you know this, but there's a difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist, right? I don't know the difference, but you could tell us. There's actually no credentialed way to be credentialed as a nutritionist. It's not a licensed term. So like uh, a licensing term. So let's say you took a course in a gym for a month 
and they they told you that like now you're a professional in nutrition so you're you can call yourself a nutritionist but to become an rd it's sort of like becoming an rn like you have to go to school for many years you have to work in the field for a year in an unpaid internship and then you could sit for your rd exam okay yeah so there's a lot of schooling and a lot of experience and then you're licensed you're a licensed professional you're considered a clinician and you're on the if i worked in nursing homes for a bunch of years you're part of the clinical team and so intuitive eating is a book slash like a nutritional approach written by two registered dietitians, Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Rush. And they developed this system called intuitive eating because they were working in the field of private practice for many years, putting people on what they called sensible meal plans or really, really diet. And what they found was that people would inevitably, they would lose the weight, but they would inevitably gain back the weight within a few months or a few years. And they were feeling really frustrated. Why is this happening? So that's when they looked to the research, the dieting research, and they really weren't able to find any research that showed that dieting leads to long-term weight loss and long-term means five years. So most people who lose weight on a diet gain it back within the first five years. And it sounds crazy, but if you look around, I don't really know people who have lost weight on a diet and who have kept it off. I know people who are constantly on a diet and going up and down in their weight, but I don't really know people who, like if dieting worked, people would go on a diet and stick to the diet. Right. But what about a diet? It's like a, a diet for life, like a way of eating. My mom eats only spelt for the last 20 something years and she doesn't eat sugar. She just adopted. She adopted that way of diet. It's a diet, but it's for life. It's a way of living for life because it made her feel physically better and mentally better. Basically, they developed the, these 10 principles of intuitive eating, and they're all designed to help you have a healthy relationship with food and to put weight loss on the back burner. Because also, there's also another movement called Health at Every Size, and there's a lot of weight studies in that book. It's a really great book that's written by Linda Bacon, and she wrote that for her dissertation, her PhD dis- dissertation. So there's like tons of research in that book on how we think that like being quote unquote overweight or being obese is like horrible for our health. We're not looking at all the research. You could be in a larger body and still pursue healthy behaviors and still be healthy. Those two, I guess, movements go together. And, and when people hear about it, when they initially hear about intuitive eating, they think intuitive eating, I'll just eat chocolate all day. You know, I'll just eat cookies all day. But like you just said about your mom, most people who eat cookies all day don't feel very good. But that usually only, you. I don't like, I don't wake up in the morning. I want to eat cookies all day, but if I was on a diet and I wasn't allowed to eat cookies, I might feel that draw or that pull to eat cookies more often. And I might feel that pull to eat cookies, even if I'm not hungry because of something called last supper eating, right? Like diet starts tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I better eat all the cookies and all the ice cream. And then I'm going to feel horrible and see, I, I see how little control I have. This is the evidence. So then you go on the diet the next day and then you don't stick to the diet because most people don't. And then you feel horrible about yourself. And then you even might feel like you're self-sabotaging by going back to the ice cream and the pizza. And then you start the diet again and then you feel horrible, right? So, so the 10 principles are designed to help you feel like safe around food. And there, one of the principles is gentle nutrition. So you do want to, you eventually do want to focus on nutrition and what we call joyful movement, like finding the movement that, that feels right to you. But it's kind of like your mom is a good example. Like she's doing that. She's not feeling restricted. She's going based off of how her body feels because she's eating those foods. Totally. And I always say, if, if someone would say to me, do your mom's diet, I would, and I tell her all the time, I don't want to be like you because your life is boring. And her response to me, I don't even want the cake that you're eating. It's not even exciting for me. It's not even winking at me because my, the outcome and the way I feel now with my food is so much more exciting than any food that I feel that I'm quote unquote denying myself of. And it was her choice, but, but at this, so that's for her. And it's so interesting because intuitive is probably very custom made. And that's why it's called intuitive eating. Cause for me, intuitive eating is intuition. Like what is, what is good for me, right? What, what's the what's the terminology of intuitive? Like, why do they call it intuitive eating? Is it because we're asking ourselves? We're we're asking our body. Yeah. So intuitive eating is if you would if you would watch like a two or three year old eat, and you would put like grapes on their plate and cookies on their plate and chicken nuggets on their plate. A lot of times you'll see that they'll eat 
everything. They'll eat like some chicken nuggets, they'll eat some grapes, and they'll eat half a cookie. Now, most adults don't do that because they feel so deprived. Like they would never be able to stop eating after half a cookie because it's like, oh, I already cheated on my diet, right? And uh, there's so much like mental energy that goes into what we're eating and what we're not eating. Because basically the first principle of intuitive eating is called rejecting the diet mentality. And if you think about it, like we are basically like surrounded by something called diet culture, diet mentality. Like it's almost like impossible to eat anything without guilt nowadays because food has become so like demonized or food has become like food is medicine. Right. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there aren't foods that are good for our health or pro health or that make us feel good. I'm just saying that it's because it's been taken to to an extreme that there's even a new eating disorder called orthorexia, which is an unhealthy obsession with only eating healthy foods. So do you know this people? Cause I was one never, of those. I never heard of that term, but it's organic people that are only organic and they, they see the toxic, like the toxic part of every food and how it's going to kill them or, or how it's going to do damage to them. But I believe that they do live a healthy life. Well, it depends what you consider healthy, because if you're the type of person that like you decide you're not going to go to social outings because you're scared of the food or you're going to interrogate a waiter and you can't, you can't feel safe at a restaurant because you don't know what exactly is in your food. To me, that's a poor quality of life. And now everybody, like every adult is autonomous. They get to choose the pros and the cons of that lifestyle. But Mm -hmm. at least those are the types of people that I treat. And I, I know that what's going on in their head is anxiety and feeling like they can't eat anything. You know, like somebody who's like very germy. Mm-hmm. I was just saying it's it's like either being of somebody hyper, hyper clean that won't touch a doorknob or won't go to a large crowd or won't go on an airplane or somebody that has allergies. My first into my first um, thought was like, oh, is this like moms that have kids with peanut allergies? They're like, Who's going to be at the birthday? What are they serving at the birthday? Who's at the school? What are they serving at the school? What are, right. Very, right. And that's rightfully so because the allergy can kill them or, or, or right. God right. forbid, uh, live, leave a, a long impact that's, that's dangerous for the child. But right. you're saying that it is more anxiety producing with not so much of the safety part that comes along with it. Right. Because I think that for most people who would be listening to this, they'd be like, no, really, I can't eat sugar. I'm I'm addicted. Or if I have one piece of cake, I have to have five pieces of cake. But that's because I hear that a lot too. But that's because it, it, it sounds, it actually sounds really counterintuitive. But if you had permission to eat the cake, I don't really like, I already see kids put on a diet as young as five, but I'm saying I don't really see like two-year-old eating five pieces of cake because that doesn't it feel so good. Once you had your fill of cake, you don't want to keep eating it. Right. So we on, that only happens when something has interfered with your intuitive cues. So like in, in like intuitive cues are like hunger, fullness, satisfaction. So one of the principles is honor your hunger. Another one is respect your fullness. And another one is the satisfaction factor of food. So there's something called a hunger fullness scale. Have you ever heard of that? No. OK, so the hunger fullness scale is like a zero to ten rating of your hunger to fullness and zero is like intensely hung- hungry, painfully hungry, like on a think of fast day. And then a nine or a 10 on the fullness side is you're really uncomfortably full. Think like Thanksgiving, you have to unbutton your pants, right? So neither of those, that hunger nor that fullness is, uh, is comfortable. And when we get to a zero or a one on this, on the hunger side, we tend to only stop eating when we get to a nine or a 10. And that's because we're in primal hunger as if we were underwater coming up gasping for air. And so there's, there's so, there's so much of a dynamic going on here. Like why do people wait until they're a zero or a one? Is it because they feel guilty to eat unless they're starving? Is it because they don't have any tools for self-care? So they let themselves get starving, even though they're feeding their kids and they're running around. They, a lot of times people don't even notice that they do this until we do one or two sessions and I have them track their, their food, but I also have them track their hunger fullness. And then the satisfaction component is that if you're feeling really guilty or really stressed at a meal, your brain isn't always registering that you're eating. Or if you're eating cottage cheese and yogurt and rice cakes and apple, because that's what the diet told you to eat, but you really want a bowl of ice cream then you're going to eat all those foods and then still eat the ice cream, or you're going to have an intense urge for, let's say a sugary food or a fatty food, but then you're going to feel like internalize that and think, wow, something's really wrong with me. Versus if you didn't have any of that baggage around food, you'd be able to sit and enjoy a bowl of ice cream and move on. 
but usually people are like, well, once I cheated on my diet, I might as well eat the whole tub. And then they feel horribly guilty. And then they put that ice cream back on a pedestal. Like I can't be around ice cream until they've been done it again. You know, that's really what I see a lot of. So you're saying it's a way of uh, intuitive eating is a way of living and looking at, at our day, at our relationship with every food and analyzing it. And, and there's a system of the question answer and, and, and an awareness of why am I, why am I turning to this food? What's going on internally? And is this conversation constantly going on? Is it something that you get used to? What's the point of doing this intuitive eating? What happens after a year? So let's say somebody works with you. What's a normal amount to work with you? Five session, 10 session, 20 session? Like what is like when somebody goes to somebody that's a, a licensed intuitive eater clinician, what, how long does it take to, to get over this, this, these hurdles? Right. So, you know, there's no answer to that. It's like, how long does it take to go through therapy? I don't know. I, maybe you'll say, maybe you'll say, you know what a normal, a, a normal routine is about 10 sessions and then they can go on their own. Is it like therapy that you never know how long it's going to take? So, so first of all, I take insurance. So a lot of my clients, if they have unlimited like access to nutrition counseling, then they'll stay on for a long time. So those are, that, I guess that's a different category. But I, when people call me and they say around how long does it take, I say I've consolidated the 10 principles into six sessions. So that's always a really good start. And I, I usually do say that if you're self-motivated, no judgment. Some people are, some people aren't. Buy the intuitive eating book. And there's also an intuitive eating workbook. And there's like tons of exercises and uh, journaling prompts in that book that you could really get yourself started. A lot of clients do also work with a therapist when they're working with me because it's sometimes it, this is very deep work, like why you would use food when you're not hungry. So like I said before, the hung, there's a hunger fullness scale and I want people to track their hunger fullness satisfaction. But that's also because I want them to know when they're not eating, when they're eating because they're not hungry. So let's say on the eight, nine. The emotional part of it versus the stomach part of it. Exactly. So like they do the tracking for one or two weeks and they realize, you know what, every day at 9 p.m. when my kids are sleeping, I get that emotional and I realize that bedtime was horrible and I'm so angry at my kids and I feel like the worst mother. And all of a sudden I noticed that I just finished a bar of chocolate, something like that. There could be there's there's so many layers to that. There could be like they also noticed that they didn't eat the whole day because they were taking care of everybody else and these I always say these are skills that not everybody learns to eat as a kid not everybody learns like when you're hungry eat you know a lot of people were actually taught like you're eating too much so and then anybody who so you sorry so you asked me how long how long does this usually take so it really obviously it depends on the person what happens after it's not so much how long so let's say somebody comes to you for 10 15 20 sessions okay they learn the principles and then they start applying it to their life and they start having these dialogues with the food constantly, or is it becoming a pattern, a relationship? What happens after 15 sessions with you, for example? Right. So the goal is that they don't always have to think, am I hungry? Am I full? Am I emotional? But there is like the way they describe it in the intuitive eating book is that like when you learn to drive, you're, con- you're you know, you're checking your mirrors and you're, you're checking everything and, and you don't know like how to back back out or do like a k-turn or whatever you're paying really close attention but eventually it does become automatic so I always say that these cues are pretty intuitive but let's say let's say with any body cue that you get right and we know that this helps this intuitive eating helps people with intuitive living it's not just about their eating I like to say like our relationship with our food is usually a model for how we have relationships with a lot of things so it's more mindfulness like you're bringing there's a lot of mindfulness a lot of mindfulness and presence and and instead of grab and go the relation the why what's going on how am I feeling and it doesn't have to be this deep okay let let me pause for a second have a conversation with my cake here it's like you're driving. I love that an- analogy of the driving because like when you're backing up, you don't realize that you're looking at your back, your camera, backup camera, or if you don't have a backup camera, you're turning around. It's natural by you. And you can do three things at the same time. You can talk, you can be on the phone, uh, it, you know, they could be giving your child something, right? So you're saying it becomes a way that we, we navigate through food and it becomes our second nature. Right. Because really we do have these internal cues of hungerfulness. And what I was saying is just like we have, um, when we got, when we feel emotional, like we feel angry or we feel jealous or we feel 
happy, we have a physical trigger, right? Like emotions are felt in our body. They're not just, you know, out there. So if you, so some people, when they feel angry, they feel like their heart racing or their cheeks are flushed. So the same thing with having, or let's say having to go to the bathroom, like you wouldn't ignore that cue or some people would sadly, but most people who are not self-neglecting wouldn't ignore those cues. Well, actually, I don't want to say self-neglecting. Many people learn to ignore their internal cues, right? Or they're not even taught to. They're not aware. Right. I was just talking to a friend this morning and uh, she was saying I'm on a high frequency. Mm. And I said, yeah, we were lucky that we were taught what a high frequency is. A lot of people don't even understand what a high frequency of energy is and then to tap into it. So mm-hmm. they're, they're, they, they don't have the tools that we have because we don't, they, no one introduced them to this idea of high frequency. So it's the same thing. Like you're saying, some people are not like, wait, I can ask my body and it's going to tell me. Right. Right. And you know how I've been seeing this a lot on Instagram where people say, you know, when you force your kid to, let's say, touch someone, so their, their grandparents trying to give them a hug or like their great uncles pinching them on the cheek and you're like, come on, you're, and they feel uncomfortable. It's their gut telling them. You're turning off that cue. You're teaching them you're getting a body cue, but ignore that body cue. Wow. Wow. Really interesting. Wow. So we should tell our kids to be in like in touch with their body cue. Of course. Of course. Why do you like so many so so it's it sounds it sounds funny, but like I have a lot of clients who have been through real body trauma and they've used food to cope. And we're kind of walking through that. Obviously, those clients need to be working with a therapist as well. But it stems from a lot of different places. Let's say a child was, this always makes me so sad. There was a child in the family that was in a larger body. And everybody was giving cake for dinner. And this child was given apple. <gasps> right? So there, and or or everybody oh was allowed God. to take, yeah, it's really oh beautiful. God. Everybody was allowed to take doubles and this child wasn't. So, but mommy, I'm still feeling hungry. No, you're not. So those cues are turned off. Oh my God. But that's society. Society is telling us to tell, to, to, to ourselves. No, you don't need that. So, so, okay. Here, here, here's my million dollar question. When my body is telling me, go to that cheesecake, and I, I spoke with with Atara Weisberger about this, because I love cake, I love cheesecake. I'm not an ice cream person, but I love delicious food. Like, I can have fried chicken. I love good, greasy food. And I always say, I wish healthy food would taste good, like like greasy food. It just doesn't. It just doesn't, okay? A salad, I could go so far, but then give me that greasy, good food. Uh-huh. Because it just tastes good. Not because it makes right. me feel good. It tastes good. So what is my body telling me? Go, I, I feel tremendous joy when I eat a delicious food. So what's my body telling me? So I guess that's like a, it, it's, it's a multifaceted question that if I, if you were in a session with me right now, I would know a lot of background about you before even going to that question. Because in my first session with clients, I get their complete diet history. So I say, I usually say, what's your earliest childhood memory around food or your body? And, you know, we go, we go really far back. When I was five years old, I was rewarded with cheesecake or something like that, you know, and I hear a lot of that in the first session, the first one to two sessions, the stories about food. And I also really like to highlight that those stories that you have around certain foods, let's say for you, it's cheesecake or greasy food there's usually an emotional attachment to that food. And it's a really actually beautiful, positive thing, right? Yes, we're, we live in diet culture. So there's a lot of like emotional eating is horrible and you should never do it and try never to blah, blah, blah. But if you think about it, when a baby's born, a baby is given food right away, whether it's breast milk or formula or whatever. So let's say the baby's nursing from its mother, the baby's getting a high dose of lactose, which is which is sugar from the milk, but the baby's not just getting, getting that the baby's getting warmth and comfort and love and security and so many things. And that's really where the emotional, the the emotions are connected to food. And then we get older and we have simchas and we have holidays and we have parties. And then our moms make the best cheesecake or our moms make the best macaroni or our moms make the best, whatever it is, chicken salad. Right. But we have that emotional attachment to food and that's not necessarily a bad thing. The only problem is, is when it becomes our only tool for coping, which I know is not your only tool for coping, right? So 
there's a, there's a, it's multifaceted. Are you, I would ask you to, to ask yourself, not always, you can't always do this. It becomes obs- obsessive, but and was I still hungry from my meal? Am I craving something really sweet and something really cold? Cause I'm hot. Does this remind me of something? Is this cheesecake something that I don't often let myself have, or it's, it's not available to me. And when you do eat it, enjoy it and be mindful. And the more we pay attention to our food and we taste it and smell it and, Obviously, you can't do that at every single meal, but that is practicing mindfulness. And we get so much satisfaction from our food when we do that. And my kids make me make so much fun of me. They make so much fun of me because when I I literally close my eyes and I feel the different textures in my mouth and I smell the aromas and I get so excited and I'm like, wow. Especially Friday night when we sit down to eat, there's the whole like 10 to 15 minute of a drama of mommy just going into gratitude about every different part that's so delicious. And this moment that we're together, I mean, we're so lucky that we get to to enjoy these different tastes and they're so fresh and it's so nice and it's so quiet here and it's so cozy and they make fun of me. Oh, there goes mommy again with her. It's a deep joy that I'm experiencing. And that's why I always say, don't take away my love to food because it's so joyful for me as it should be but at the same time I know that I eat a tremendous amount of food that's not good for my body not good for my mind I know when my body is is tired it's because I eat too much sugar and too much flour I know it too much I don't eat that healthy when I eat healthy the quote-unquote healthy what the world says brown rice a piece of a clean chicken white chicken and a salad I feel better Mm-hmm. physically and my mind is sharper right but I don't want to take away the joy right so I'll say a few things about that I don't want you to take away the joy like I always say like breathing isn't joyful I mean maybe it could be but I'm saying it doesn't it's not pleasurable but eating is pleasurable God made it that way that that we're supposed to get right level of pleasure from our food right and if you think about it we have to eat right we, we can't just avoid eating so Hashem built into our day pockets of time where we experience pleasure And there's obviously different types of pleasure. If you're eating every single day, like fried chicken and French fries, fried broccoli for lunch, you might not feel so good. It might taste really good, but eventually you might be like, wait a second, I'm not feeling so good because I'm eating a lot of oil. And just to neutralize that, like a lot of oil in your stomach is hard to digest. And that's why that hurts people's stomach. So then you might say, okay, maybe I'm going to add a salad to that meal and see how it makes me feel. Maybe I'm going to say the next day I'll have grilled chicken. And that's not restricting. That's more using food as a tool for self-care. But once we start getting into that restrictive mode, we tend to feel really out of control around that food. And then we binge on that food or we feel shame when we eat that food. And then that's worse for our mental health. That makes us feel sluggish. Is it more a choice? I'm making a choice to gift my my body healthy food versus deprive it from the unhealthy food? Is that the mindset behind it? Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others, essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. Is it more a choice? I'm making a choice to gift my my body healthy food versus deprive it from the unhealthy food. Is that the mindset behind it? Yeah, it's very empowering. That's why I like to have people track their food because that you you when you say like that you have a headache every single night at 9 p.m. and you had chocolate at 8 p.m. 
I might wonder if that's if that's what's causing the headache. Try not try not to have it one night and see if it makes you feel better. And then that doesn't usually lead to deprivation. It leads to having a clearer head. It, it depends. Or I know this is kind of tedious, but for most people, it's like I like to call like what people say like junk food or garbage. I like to call that play food because there's so like the judgment terms around food like we we actually know from the research is even worse for our health because we feel like let's say for for kids especially we say oh don't eat that garbage but we're actually buying it so what type of message is that for the kids you shouldn't eat this but but I bought it you know like what a good point wow I'm going to be more mindful of that because I do that all the time right we all do that that's not real food. That's garbage. Don't eat it. So why are you buying garbage? Right, right. So you could say that's play food. That's not, that's in between food. That's a treat. That's right. not for now. That's after you eat your healthy food or whatever, but don't call, oh, wow. I'm so, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to start using it. Yeah. 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 That, that, but, but I want to go back to that chocolate example. Because sure. my my mind just keep on fighting it. You're, you're calling it intuitive eating. You're, you're, you're saying it's different than diet. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're saying if you have a headache at nine and you ate chocolate at eight, so maybe you'll say to yourself, maybe give up on the chocolate. That's a diet. You're just talking to it differently. I don't think so because you could you could also see that, let's say somebody's like eating a salad every single day for lunch and then they're feeling really bloated at 2 p.m., right? So I would say you're not eating food that's has enough substance. That's why you're feeling bloated. And that's what vegetables could do to your stomach because it's like all that air food. So I would say that I, I, I'm really trying to neutralize the food. I'm, I'm just giving an example of chocolate because that's something that I would hear a lot. Like, right, but, right. but I don't think that that's a diet. If you say, you know what? Some days when I eat a salad, that hurts my stomach. So some days I'll have a sandwich. Is that a diet? A carb-free diet is a choice because I want to feel better because I want more energy. And, and, the, and, and the world has proven that, that carbs make you tired. So do less carb, minimal carbs, and you'll feel great. Okay. It's my choice. I'm gifting it to my body. It's still a diet. Well, I guess I'll say to that, I don't really think about like in the 1990s, actually intuitive eating was written in the 1990s. In the 1990s, they've updated it since, but but the fad diet then was low fat, right? And now carbs are demonized. But I know from the direct experience of my body is that when I don't eat a carb with most meals, that I don't feel satisfied or I don't feel full. So society is telling us a lot of things like the diet culture is attached to the beauty industry, which tells us a lot of things that make us feel horrible about ourselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that is like a much deeper discussion than the dieting discussion, but you can't really separate, let's say body image with dieting with, with like intuitive eating, because what ends up happening a lot is that people really, they work through the principles of intuitive eating and they, they, they feel like they could make themselves a plate of food that has a protein, a carb, a vegetable and enjoy it. Or they can make them, they could just have carbs and they could pay attention to maybe adding in a protein at dinner. I'm, I, like there's no, it's not, it's really not a diet. It's not any form of restriction all foods could fit, but you're paying attention to how the foods make you feel. So if you're saying some people maybe really do feel that that carbs make them tired, I don't really believe it because carbs are like the main source of energy. So I don't know how anybody would be able to really function without carbs. That is like the fad right now. So it's not good. I mean, I'm not going to say it's good or not good. I just don't, I just can't see that that would be like something that you should be doing. Carbs are our main source of energy. But it also makes us very tired and very heavy. I mean, have feeling bloated. Maybe certain types of carbs, maybe a certain amount of carbs. Maybe you're binging on carbs because you're not giving yourself permission to eat it. Mm-hmm. It could be a million things, really. Right. You know, that's kind of like what the session, what the sessions are for. That's why I'm like trying to figure out, like, did you eat the bag of chips because you were feeling deprived? Did you eat the bag of chips because um, you had no other coping mechanism? Like one of the principles is not using food to cope with your emotions. So if I'm not using food and I've been using it since I'm five, because I was put on a diet at five and that's how I, that's how I Mm -hmm. soothe myself. So do you have another tool? And that's where like you, you would, you would have a wealth of knowledge here, like journaling, meditating, changing your environment, calling a friend, exercise. But what if I don't want to, what if I want to use the tool of food? Cause it makes me feel good. So and that's okay too. Like I said before, emotional eating, it could is it's fine as long as it's not your only tool. Because if every single time you're triggered and you use food, 
then you're just avoiding whatever's going on in your life. But if like sometimes some days you're not going to be able to access another tool and that's fine too. So I'm I'm having such a hard time understanding the difference between the res- the the boundaries. I won't call it restrictive because I I see that you don't like the the intuitive eating world doesn't like the world word restrictive because that's where things um, get complicated for the person, right? So mm-hmm. so we want boundaries, right? We want awareness. Is intuitive? If you needed to describe intuitive eating and how it brings how it helps us through life navigate for, through life how would you describe that like why is intuitive eating good for our our mental state our physical state our relationships our emotional well-being what is it about intuitive eating it's a framework of 10 principles that are designed to help an individual have a healthy relationship with food not feel out of control around food and and not feel guilt or shame about eating all foods can fit and not necessarily putting weight loss on the back burner and learning to love and respect your body at any size. It's not about feeling the physical aspect so much versus the emotional. So it's really an emotional work. And the, the byproduct could be a healthy relationship with food that afterwards can lead to doing more exercise or, or staying away with certain foods that are not good for your body for, or sugar, whatever it is. But first you're doing the emotions. Yeah. There's a lot of emotional work. There's emotional work. And then after that, the outcome can spread across the body, the mind the spirit everything that's a good way of putting it yeah that it just goes out right versus versus oh let me take the diet because i have to feel good because i have to live longer because i have to look good because i need to have this image of myself and then becomes like a forced constant way of living versus a choice of a way of living and then it goes from the inside out and it probably puts out all kinds of fires that would be very hard to do and constant and feel like restrictive. Like you kept on saying restrictive, right? I have to, I can't Mm -hmm. all these versus I choose to. Right. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And there is a lot of emotional work, emotional digging, like where did this belief system come from? And, and yeah, they actually, the principle of nutrition and exercise are the last two principles and they always say like you could go in any order, but you before you start, you know, choosing foods that you feel are better for you or feel better in your body, you want to get rid of all that emotional baggage. So it does. It's a lot of it's a lot of internal work for sure. And is it so you said that you sometimes tell your clients to go to therapy side by side with you. So do you don't dig deep into the emotional work. You just give them the awareness. Oh, when you were five, you were given the apple instead of the cake let's be aware of that. Maybe go and work that out with your therapist or is it something that they work with you and, and the emotions that came up with that memory of when they were five and they were given the apple. I have a supervisor and I'll, and I try to be good about like seeing her when I feel stuck on a case. Is this something I can work through? Is this something they need to work through with their therapist? So, and it's not, it's not like every client is like, we're going to such a deep dive. Yeah. But that's like, my favorite, you know, because it's like, it is very life changing. And a lot of them haven't been given any of these, you know, listening to your body cues, their cues have been turned off for a long time, self care, knowing that they have needs and that it's not selfish to give that to themselves. Like to me, now that seems so obvious, because that's something that I learned about and incorporated into my own life and something that I'm really passionate about. But for a lot of people, they don't really know that like they need to eat too. You know, they need to move too. They need to go to their doctor too. They need to sleep too. Like they just don't think about that because they've been so conditioned to put their needs last, really. Are most people that come to work with you are people that they try diets for so many years and they just, it's not working and they're frustrated and they want to try something else? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's usually what happens. It's called hitting diet rock bottom. So like Mm -hmm. you tried every single diet and actually what happens is, is that. So it is an image thing. They are coming because it's they're stuck with their image. They're trying diet, 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 diet. It's not working. And they're like, okay, I need a change. And I'm going to try intuitive eating now. Well, it depends. Like some people are like, I know that 
I know that dieting doesn't work because I've been doing it for 20 years. And they either came across intuitive eating, someone told them about it, or they didn't. And they, whatever, were doing some Googling and they found it and they found my name or whatever, something like that. And they're like, what is this? I've, I've been put, I thought I needed to lose weight since I was 12 or, you know, 10 or 20, depending, obviously depending on the person. So they're like, I can't live like this anymore. Like every single time I go on a diet, I lose the weight, but then I gain it back and I feel worse and I feel out of control. And I like, it's, it really does get in the way with their daily functioning actually. So a lot of, would you say that a lot of the people that come to you come when, because they're like, so they're full of anxiety and shame and frustration that they're like, okay, I need to, I need to figure this out because it's taking over my life. Yeah. So I feel like the people who come to me because of that, I have a better chance with them, like using the intuitive eating model and like sticking to it versus somebody who I'm sort of like convincing that this is like something that could be good for them because they're still like, I still want to lose weight and they're still like stuck there versus somebody who's, I've been on a diet for so many years. It obviously doesn't work. And I, and I want to love myself. I want to accept myself. So it's body image is a lot of body image work with intuitive eating. There is a lot of body image work and understanding like, like you could be, you could, you're lovable at any size. You could pursue healthy behaviors at any size. Like I said before, like society is so into making us believe that if we're not like, think about it, like, I don't know when it was a hundred or 200 years ago, people who were in larger bodies were considered more beautiful because they had lots of money. Right. So societal standard right now. And, and I think even 20, 30 years ago, there was standard of beauty was like real thin. And now the standard of beauty is like very thin, but like very curvy and bust. Right. And so we're right. like looking at the celebrities and the, and the models and the, right. um, and so, and also let's say Instagram and just seeing everyone's filters. It's not just about weight. It's about everything. Like, Right. And we're attacked on or, or attacked on all fronts, like how we look, basically. So I'm not saying to neglect yourself. I think that health is really important and physical health is really important. But I think that we've taken it to the degree where it's really are just how many people do you know that are doing Botox now? Like we can't accept ourselves. We can't accept our bodies. We have no form of body acceptance or body love. It's all body shame and body hatred. And it's even like a communal thing for women to sit around and like body bash no and i'm wondering if if the eating disorders can be healed with intuitive eating in a way anorexia bulimia right can can, do they believe that it can go to such a deep level is it something that they're that people are born with with anorexia well that's like a whole separate topic uh if they're born with it there's usually tons of comorbidities that come with an eating disorder it's usually not just that somebody wants to be skinny um, or or whatever, there's binge eating disorder that's also considered an eating disorder. But the the authors of Intuitive Eating, Evelyn Tripoli and Elise Rush, I believe that they're both eating disorder dietitians, which is like another whole right. level of credentialing, which is you have to have a lot of supervised hours. So like I'm hoping one day to do that, even though right. that one me is like really hard and really, really heavy. But you can't use intuitive eating to heal an eating disorder because people's cues are actually turned off. Their hunger fullness cues are actually turned off. Oh, they're turned off completely. For many people, like you can't say, listen to your hunger. They don't, they've turned them off. Wow. But you could use it once they're like once let's say their dietitian slash doctor slash therapist are like they're in the healing phase. It's definitely a goal, but it's not, you can't use it as a form of treatment when somebody's actively has an eating disorder yeah do you believe that it could have been prevented if someone taught them the clues to tap into their clues from a non-shameful way yeah so there's actually a model for feeding your kids which is called the division of responsibility which is if you use that model for kids you raise them to be intuitive eaters so there it's a little bit different than for adults versus kids as as you were saying before like a lot of us say like throughout don't eat that garbage it's not good for you so taking out like all the shame and judgment terms with food, like good, even good and bad foods, even healthy or non-healthy. I just actually did a supervision session with Evelyn Tripoli, one of the authors of Intuitive Eating. And she was like, yeah, like even the, the research is even showing how detrimental it is to call food healthy versus unhealthy. I'm not exactly sure what I sometimes say, like more nutritious, less nutritious. I'm not, I haven't found the right wording. There's so much judgment in our, in the way that we describe food. Like I was so bad yesterday. I feel so guilty. So like taking the... Wow the judgment out of the food. Wow. Like real acceptance to the relationship with food. But it's in the same way, like I'm thinking about the days when I was so depressed, I knew 
that a tiny bit of sugar will send me into a panic attack. Like even, even decaf coffee would send me to a panic attack. I know that there's a relationship between food and my body reactions. But just think about somebody that is diabetic. Like they, they have to be very intuitive with their reaction with their food. So there mm-hmm. is something that has to be said about healthy food. I know you don't like that word, but the healthy food for our body and our mind. Mm-hmm. What clutters our mind? What's what opens our mind? I would say that that's really individualized. I actually have I have my own podcast, right? And I interviewed somebody on my podcast. Her name is Rivka Alfie, and she is somebody who practices intuitive eating, and she had gestational diabetes. So we were talking about how do you use intuitive eating and gentle nutrition. That's one of the principles when you have a nutrition related diagnosis. Right. So we were talking about kind of using the same like hungerfulness satisfaction tracker and then tracking her sugar. And I'm not, of course, there's a relationship between diabetes and your sugar, but not to way not to the extent that we know that the general population knows about it. I worked in a nursing home for five years with many people who had diabetes. Even simple things like adding a protein to your carb could help with with your sugar levels. Walking around the block for 10 minutes after a high carb meal could help with your sugar levels. It doesn't have to be as extreme. Oh, you're not allowed to have any sugar. That's what we think. You have diabetes, you can't have sugar, but there is a process to tracking your sugar levels, seeing which foods spike your, like, I I think I remember her saying rice would spike her sugar, corn wouldn't. Those are both carbs, right? So for every person, you're going to see a different pattern, which is really actually very interesting. So I'm, I'm not saying, oh, like all foods have the same nutritional value. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying demonizing food and putting it like in those good, bad categories actually is worse for our mental health in terms of making us feel really guilty about certain foods and making us feel even more drawn to certain foods. And maybe, yes, you do have a negative reaction to sugar. I'm not saying that. That's that's your direct, the direct experience of your body. That's something that you should listen to, you know? So I want to, I want to sum this up and this is what I'm coming to clarity. There is a outcome when we eat certain foods with our body. Definitely it affects our, our moods, our strength, our sleep, our mental health, depression, anxiety, definitely does. But before we go that far, we first have to have the proper relationship with it in order to be able to choose the right ones for our mental health stability. Instead of saying sugar is terrible for panic attack, uh, caffeine is terrible for anxiety, have first the dialogue with the food and then do it intuitively and mindfully why you're choosing your mental health versus saying, versus saying, yes, we know we, okay, neuroscience says sugar is terrible for anxiety. So cut it out take it a step before and have the relationship with it and, and ask, why do you want it? What is, and, and how can you have this not good, bad versus what does it do to me? Make the decision out of care and love and power versus restriction. You got it. A lot of clients talk a lot about, I'm doing this for self-love. I'm empowering myself. And yeah, it's definitely nuanced. Is this diet culture? Is this intuitive eating? There's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of gray. And there is a lot of individualizing. That's why I think the coaching part is so important. This could be diet culture for one person. And this could be intuitive eating for another person. For the sugar, like the example of the sugar, like some people feel this crash when they when they have a high sugar sugar meal, right? And there's no other food components, like there's no fat or there's no protein or there's no fiber, let's say those are all things that interfere with glucose digestion, right? So then you have that, you have that high from the sugar, and then you have that low. So you feel like, oh, every time I eat sugar, I'm, I feel horrible, and I'm addicted to sugar, and I can't stop eating it. But let's say um, you would focus on like gentle nutrition and focus on something like adding nutrition. So if you had, like I said before, you had a meal where you had more other components like you're eating you're making sure that you also have peanut butter you also have cheese or you and you also have a fruit that has fiber in it or cucumber with fiber right or you have av- avocado for the fat like all those things combined actually do help you feel better that is something to even though it's kind of annoying and tedious to pay such close attention to how the food makes you feel you will not have to do it forever that is something that it, it does become more intuitive when when you're paying attention so there is that level of mindfulness for sure yeah do people lose weight when they come to you, not as a goal, but as a byproduct of working with you? So I never focus on weight. I know that it was a tricky question for you, but I'm just curious. Let's say somebody said, listen, I want to lose weight, but I also want to eat healthy. 
Right. But but eating healthy is more important. Like my relationship with my food is more important and why I'm eating what, but will the, will I just accept the way I am or will it eventually lead to weight loss? Some people lose weight and some people gain weight and some people stay the same. So there's really no, I really don't focus on the weight at all. Right. Actually. It's all about the relationship with the food. Thank you so much for sharing this with me because I, I'm fascinated with food. I love food. I enjoy food. I do know that with my mental health recovery, food was a huge, huge part of me noticing what's good for me and not good for me for my own reaction, mm-hmm. my anxiety, my depression, my, my sleeping patterns. Food was really affecting me. But I also know that I, there was, there's a part of me that is unhealed with food and I don't know what it is and I'm afraid to go there. Mm-hmm. because my love to food is so strong. <laughs> it's interesting to hear the perspective of the intuitive part and in our to really ask ourselves and and those those clues that you talk about is is really interesting. Where can people find you? I'm on Instagram, gila.glasper.intuitive.rd. I have a podcast. It's called Get Into It with Gila. And I have a website, www.gilaglasper.com. And yeah, that's how people can find me. Thank you so much for sharing. And anybody that researched something and finds out a little bit more of what we think is is standard and breaks that standard and gives more awareness to what we are fed literally by the world. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for being here. Thank you for everything that you do. I, as I said on my podcast, there's not that many people out there advocating for mental health awareness. And I really think what you're doing is incredible. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com, the leading online platform for therapy. You can access thousands of therapists one click away. Go check out BetterHelp.com forward slash hope to recharge. Get 10% off your first month. Start your wellness now.